Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Hi there. This podcast is brought to you by Levi Solicitors, who will give you 10% off your legal fees for listening to this show. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. Michael Normanson's with me as well. Hello. And so is Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. The good news is this podcast is free and everything on this channel will continue to be free for you. But if you want to get the podcasts ad-free and have a look at our new digital subscription, Avaganda is called TSB Plus. And when you subscribe to TSB Plus, you get all our podcasts. Uh, These ones ad-free, you get the extra ball as well, all on one feed on your podcast player. And on the extra ball this week, we spoke to John Boyd, who is the guy who did the commentary that urged Gary Speed to go on, get one yourself, son. And he was great fun speaking to us on his birthday. He was good, wasn't he, Michael? He was. It was nice to hear that that voice. You can, I think you'll recognise him still. He's got that. He's still got that nice uh, sort of gravel to his voice. On TSB Plus, you also get early access to the match ball straight after each game. You get full digital access to the mag with TSB Plus. That's every issue that we've done since 2009, right up to the present day. And if you remember that old section that was in the magazine, it was called Propaganda. Well, we've updated it for 2020 you get propaganda as a daily email um you can find out basically what the world has been saying about leeds united straight to your inbox you also get discounts on our future magazine specials and merchandise too details at the squareball.net forward slash plus into it now then and another seven goal thriller to get round to um looking back on but i i guess we've got to at least acknowledge the fact that we played the whole tigers it feels like a lifetime ago now, but it was just last midweek. Moscow addressed this. It was it was a Pontins League game. We don't need to be too concerned. It didn't look like last week. I was thinking about this game and how much of all the games played behind closed doors so far, this one was the one that really felt most like it had a crowd there. But it was a crowd from like our JPT days or one of the horrible Steve Evans era matches where it would be dark. It would be unseasonably cold. And even if there were people there, it would feel as if Elland Road was just empty. And in the words of Steve Evans talking about Suleiman Dakara, as if Leeds United's heart was crying. So I'm glad we're out of that fucking tournament. There is a serious point there. And we did touch on it in the um, in the match ball. We don't have to go to West Ham this week. And I see that as a real plus point given where we are and given the importance of the Premier League and the need to get points on the board, we don't want to be traipsing down to London and getting back at stupid o'clock on Thursday morning. All right, we'd have beaten West Ham. Of course we would. Everyone beats West Ham, but I think murder ball is definitely the way forward. I don't think anything good has yet happened in that stadium, has it? So it's best to just avoid going there for as long as we can. The Olympics were all right, weren't they? The opening ceremony was good and all that, wasn't it? Oh, that's true enough. Yeah, the Olympics were fine. The stuff after it. No good football stuff has happened. There's been some... Uh, I saw Guns N' Roses there too. That was all right. But um, it's not a football stadium is the problem. So let's not play football though. But when we do, let's make sure we win because we may have to at some point over the coming months. On to the Fulham game then. 4-3 again. Any reflections on it a couple of days on now? We're, uh, are we quite happy with it overall as an outcome? I'm probably more annoyed about their penalty than I was at the time. Having seen it back, that's not a penalty. I know, I know he's 
slid in and his legs are there, but he deliberately runs into Cox's legs as they're on the floor. He's not. He, does, he doesn't run in a straight line. And you can't just run into people to try and win free kicks. That's not That's not football. Imagine the whole pitch trying to play to those rules. You get end up with some ridiculous farce of everyone just knocking the ball past people and then not running in a straight line after the ball. Paul Merson wasn't happy with it. And for once, I actually agreed with him. There does seem to have been a, a blooming of the idea around intent to the point that penalties and fouls in general have become quite psychological where... If you do slide towards a player, even if you don't connect with them, it's kind of like, well, you were thinking about it, weren't you? So penalty. And that seems to be uh, what did for Cork. Although, you know, the Joe Bryan saw it coming and was canny enough to, to make sure his foot hit him. Even if I think there'd been no contact uh, whatsoever, it probably still would have been a, a penalty for that reason. But it's a shame because people are allowed to change their minds. And Robin Cock, you could see his mind changing as he slid towards Joe Bryan. He tried to pull out because he realised he'd done a, a foolish thing. So if we're punishing people for for trying to foul somebody, shouldn't we also praise them for not fouling them, for thinking again, for changing their minds and trying to pull out? I think he should have been given um, maybe a garland of flowers instead of a penalty to Fulham. I suppose sensing the injustice of it, Joe did go straight down the other end and give Bamford a push, which was, well, I'd say, it was more than a push. I'd say it was a kidney jab, wasn't it? He tried to, he's tried to kill him there, is what I'm saying. He's a good lad, Joe Bryan, because you remember it's his uh, two goals that did for Pontus and co, and uh, particularly Thomas Frank, I think, is the one who um, we wanted to bear the, the weight of not getting promoted. I haven't looked at what Brentford have been doing in the Championship. You mentioned on Saturday that the uh, the Championship is just, a complete irrelevance to us and I'm I'm almost I've got my phone I'm about to click on the just tap on the scores I'm not going to bother I don't actually want to know what Brentford are doing I'll tell you what they're doing they're in the no, championship no, listen they're in the championship somewhere between 1st and 24th they'll be arsing around in that new stadium of theirs won't they well they won't be because nobody can go but imagining that they are arsing about it's very true. Now, I'm, I'm going to apologise for name dropping here, but Clang, um, Phil Hay texted me yesterday and said one of the things he's enjoying at the minute is just not having to give a shit about the championship whatsoever. And it's so true. Like on Saturday, I realised it had got to sort of match of the daytime and I had no awareness whatsoever of who was playing who in the championship, what the scores were, what even the, the table was. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler now. Reading at top with Bristol City second and Luton third, all three have played two and won two and have got six points. That's what's happening in the championship. I mean, if the season ends like that, none of those teams can possibly be promoted. So they're going to have to sort that out. I don't know what rule they'll they'll have to use, but can't be allowed. So let's pull on a few of the threads that we addressed on the match ball. What went right and what went wrong? Well, quite a lot went right because we won. As you you poked fun at my um, negativity on the match ball, Moscow. So what went right? Well, we're a lot more efficient in attack. Now, Bielsa's suggesting that, well, he's like bloody Michael, the miserable git. It won't last. It won't look. We can't be this efficient always. He's consistent, though, is Bielsa with this, because when we were creating loads of chances and not winning games, he always said, well, that's a, an aberration and it'll fix itself over time. Whereas now he's saying, well, these goals we're scoring are an aberration, so let's not get carried away. Whereas the most managers would take the praise when it comes and just credit themselves for the hard work and blame other people when it goes wrong but Bielsa is is very consistent on these things he has a lot right in that regard because everybody always says a a lot with playing up front is confidence and Bambo is looking incredibly confident at the moment scoring every shot that comes his way getting all the assists he's he's bossing Van Dyke around but we saw Scotty Parker at the end of this game and then um, Fragile Frank after Liverpool had embarrassed him and his goalkeeper and they were both kind of talking about confidence, Parker, about his defenders and the psychological side of defending and how they need a, a red light to come on. And he he, he went into full schoolboy mode. He came out for that post-match interview wearing very short trousers, um, still the Bladigan, but, you know, like a, a 1950s school uniform, saying, I just got, I don't know how to get 
communicate to them. I've got to tell them, you know, the red lights got to go on. They'd see the danger. And you just got to, and his eyes are rolling. He kept looking up at the sky as if he's like, somebody's got to help me tell them. And then Frank Lampard had a bit of it yesterday because he's being asked about his, uh, that useless fucking Kiko Garcia wannabe that they could persist with in goal. And uh, he said, uh, so how, how do you help keeper? At this difficult time, he said, well, I've got to give him confidence. I said, how do you give a goalkeeper confidence? Well, I don't know, really, because it's, it's about a lot more than confidence. He doesn't have a fucking clue. Whereas Bielsa, as he said, is consistently, when Bamford is missing chances, he says, well, there's nothing I can do about it. He'll score some later. And then when he's scoring chances, he says, well, it's nothing to do with me. Hopefully he'll keep going, but there'll probably be a time when he doesn't. He just, it's like we, we've picked up before that the one thing he he doesn't feel he can teach or train is finishing that it's he he does have his routines about scoring from different situations but it's more about setting them up and then it's you can either put it in the net or you can't and often it will depend on a a goalkeeper or a defender getting it away or a, a block there's so many things that can happen in the six yard box that trying to teach it is pointless you just got to keep the players in good condition try to keep them content and they'll do it whereas fucking Lampard and Parker just haven't worked this side of the game out yet and they're just embarrassing themselves on television crying about their inability or in Lampard's case that he just doesn't fucking care I'll just buy it I'll buy a new one and if it had not work I'll buy another one if it had not work I'll buy 10 it's just it's the only thing I can think of it was very measured about Costa as well wasn't it there was a question in the post game about do you think the Premier League suits him more because he's had a good start? And again, most managers are just going, yeah, it looks like it. We, we always thought when we signed him, he'd be a good player for the Premier League. He, I mean, I could do a standard manager interview, but Bielsa said, well, we're only working off a data set of two games, so it's too early to say. You think, well, fair enough. There was the same thing about the defenders as well. There was a question about us conceding seven goals in two games, and he was asked if, um, if more time for Cooper and Cock playing together would solve that. And he asked the question back. He said, what problems do you think they had that time would solve? And his, uh, his attitude is there will be, they can work specifically on the mistakes that they made, but they won't be playing against Mitrovic every week. He said Mitrovic caused them loads of problems and he was more of a factor than anything that they did wrong. I think he, he was taking the question very literally, perhaps with a, a slight smile as if he was still remembering the knob gag from the start where he's saying, are you saying if they just like went out for dinner, they'd play better together? Whereas in his mind, it's no. Get them in a room, as Bamford said, they'll have some long meetings about the defending and say, right, this happened. Next time it happened, do this. And that's how you improve them. And you can do that in a day. You don't need them to play six games together. I actually think playing six games together will help them. But don't tell Bielsa because I don't want to get shouted at. Returning to the question of Bamford, I did see a new nickname uh, manifest itself over the weekend on Twitter. And we obviously saw him evolve into Bambo last season when he became a physical brute in the championship. Now, Bambo seems to be a little bit more refined now we're in the top division and he's a free-scoring Premier League striker. Bambino. I like that. I like Bambino. I, did, I think it was William Hill was... I mean, in the way that bookmakers do, in fairness, just to try and generate some hits. But they were they were touting him for a, an England call-up. Him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think, were both being mentioned there, which is, you know, stranger things have happened, I suppose, but maybe not just yet. I think maybe his, his improved form, I think, is almost entirely due to Moscow not being able to criticise him for a few weeks. <laughs> Can you imagine Robbie Keane if Patrick Bamford starts playing for England? I imagine he'd be very angry. I wonder what that would sound like. I, yeah, I, I wonder what that would sound like. Honest, can't, can't, I reckon can't you've got the answers. It. Don't hold out on me. <laughs> well, let's see. We'll have a think about that then if that one develops. But I did ask the question on the match ball at the weekend, what went wrong, which was when you pointed out that we'd won. We'd scored four goals. We were 4-1 up. It was great. I just think sometimes in the aftermath of a comeback like that, when it all got, gets a little bit nervous, the tendency is to think that something was horrifically wrong. but And this is the beauty of being able to kind of reflect on it a couple of days down the line when you've calmed down and the adrenaline subsided. You can just say, do you know what? It's fine. 
And actually, when you pass all these things through the it's fine prism, uh, you realize, actually, do you know what? It's fine. For example, uh, we've got on the notes here, Dallas and Ailing less involved. It's fine. You're not going not to be busy every game, are they? They're not going to be great. Same for Jackie Harrison. Yeah, absolutely fine. Meslier, his first error, you could argue. Fine, isn't it? Because we won and he's a young keeper learning his trade. Rodrigo, not quite up to speed just yet. Fine. We can't defend against Mitrovic. Well, we're only going to have to face him once more this season, so that's fine. It was a little bit like the Barnsley game at the end of last season where we came on to do a match ball and we were all just, we just won a game that was absolutely vital to getting us promoted. It more or less sealed it in many ways. And we all were just absolutely miserable and scared. But it wasn't exactly the right reaction. While we were correct to have big concerns in there, some days you've just got to be happy with the result. I mean, the other thing about Fulham's so-called comeback is it only lasted five minutes. You know, they scored through Dekodover Reed, and then they scored through Mitrovic, and then that was it, basically. And as we also pointed out, the last 20 minutes of the game were actually, in his view, the best 20 minutes we had. And looking at Sofa scores, what do they call this thing? Momentum thing. Yes, their attack momentum graph. It shows us attacking for the last 20 minutes. There's a big hoo-ha when they score their two goals. But then after that, Alioski and Roberts had that big chance. We were up there under the pitch for most of the end of the game. We didn't really look like conceding. I thought Click started playing really well defensively. He was in for a couple of good blocks and a couple of good tackles. And it was all happening outside our penalty area. I don't remember them having a clear-cut chance inside our penalty area after it went 4-3 where you thought, we've been lucky there. There was the one that hit the post, but again, that's a shot from outside the box and everything that happened. I think it was covered as well. Yeah, and their last um, their last big chance was, was it Adoy who ran through the middle of the pitch and because Click went all the way with him. All he could do was try a shot from about 25 yards out that was well over the bar. So there was nothing actually that bad about the last 25 minutes. And um, it was hard to see what had generated all the fuss. It was fine. I think, I think we've still got some memories of, I guess, the the Cardiff game where we were absolutely cruising and managed to throw it away in such a short spell. And then the Derby one as well, where we were we basically outplayed him for two and a half games. And then in... 10 minutes we managed to completely throw the whole thing away so I think I think it's maybe a slight fear of it's happening again from those sorts of things but it didn't and as you say we were actually relatively comfortable in the end if we'd have got to if that last 20 minutes we'd been one nil up and been playing like that we'd have been absolutely fine with it it's just because of all the madness that had gone before it felt like it was impossible there wouldn't be another goal in the game and the other thing about it is it's the second game so it kind of putting so much at stake on the results of this one. We got some good things to take off, right? You know, we've got our first Premier League points where we've got a hundred percent home record. We've beaten a team that came up with us. So ultimately that might be valuable if we end up scrapping away at the end of the table. But you know, it's the second match of the season. You can't be stringing your nerves out to the point that it, it, it's this important when you've got, 36 games afterwards to sort any problems out. Just enjoy it. It's fun. Football. It's entertainment. It's a jolly old time. Seven goals. 14 in two. I think you're absolutely right, Moscow. And I think you're right as well, Michael. It's just a hangover from all those anxieties of last season. But there is there is a certain pressure on this season in that we need to stay up, really. We can't afford to be gurgling around the plug hole. So there's going to be a bit of latent worry about being at the bottom end, which it doesn't feel like we're going to be. But until we get... So, you know, 20, 30 points on the board very soon, hopefully, we're not going to relax. So there's always going to be that sort of that, that little doubt about which way the season is going to go. But, you know, you, it's a fair point. And yeah, I enjoyed your match report on the Squareball website that kind of drew attention to this, that it's, it's all about fun. So, yeah, it was. Looking back on it, it was good. And OK, it got away from us a little bit in the second half, but actually it's fine. And that's our assessment of it. Propaganda, your daily TSB Plus email if you subscribe to that. Let's have a little dive into it now quickly. Fulhamish is the podcast that we uh, we mentioned in the preview in the build-up to this. They were actually very fair in their assessment of this, uh, which is a little bit disappointing. You want people trash-talking leads, don't you, for the benefit of this feature? I was desperately trying to find a less balanced vlogger or something on YouTube who'd be spitting and 
and angry about Bielsa and the dirty northerners and stuff. But yeah, it was all it was all quite nice, really. The, it's a fair call the way that Fulhamish talked about it. I have to say, it was all very strange listening to them talking about Fulham and clearly caring about it. That's what what confused me. I, I was listening to this stuff say, "Well, get to the part where you're talking about Leeds," but instead they're just banging on about they want to buy some new centre backs. And I really don't understand, like, who cares who plays centre-half of Fulham? I don't care. I don't know anybody who cares. It doesn't matter. I mean, who plays centre-back for Fulham hasn't mattered since the fucking 1940s, I don't think. So it was all, uh, get, was Johnny Haynes a full-back? Put Johnny Haynes at centre-half next to the statue of Michael Jackson and they'll be absolutely fine for the rest of it. The one thing that did stand out from listening to us, they do seem desperate for Fulham to stop being sensible and basically do a Fulham the way that we were being accused of because we bought two players that are like, well, the only solution to conceding four to Leeds and three to Arsenal is we have to buy an entire new defence. And they've got, you know, the Real Madrid reserve goalkeeper that they're copying us with and they've got that new right-back, Tete, by others, three more, centre-halves in particular. So that's quite funny that they're just... um, after two games, they've just completely abandoned this idea of, no, we're going to be sensible this time and not make the mistakes we made last time. Fuck it. Let's try those mistakes again. There was one little bit of bitterness that, that broke through in, I mean, these guys, they beat us once for podcast of the year, didn't they? And I'm not like, now I've actually listened to it. Speaking of bitterness, <laughs> we've not let it bother us. Now I've listened to it. I don't have a clue how the post-match reaction to this guy on a sofa with his with a microphone i mean he looked like he didn't want to be there i didn't want to listen to it it's got a slight vibe of a hostage video actually that screenshot and just at the very end there is that little bit of uh resentment towards leeds united just break through his boring facade fulham have lost by four goals to three um to leeds united uh was it their first game back in the premier league in 16 years yeah, apparently it was didn't get mentioned a lot. I'm not trying to be bitter towards Leeds. I thought, you know, I think their system will work this season, probably keep them in the division and the way they play. I mean, they've been involved with some crazy games. Let's finish up. He was close, wasn't he? He was close. But then he realised he was about to do, like, say something funny or interesting. So he had to stop. Even then, though, you can sort of see his point. It is a bit boring listening to our our games and the way that they talk about us. It's very um, formulaic now. Just in the same way, we we didn't actually talk about this, but the whole game. Did you notice how many times the commentator mentioned that Batty in their midfield used to play for Leeds, was a Leeds fan, uh, was at the academy, was let go from the academy. He's called Batty, but his dad isn't David Batty, even though he's called David Batty. It was every time he touched the ball, I was thinking, fucking hell, we get it. Shut up. He got to the bottom of his crib sheet and then had to go back to the top. He only had half a dozen things on it. Patrick Bamford, Bambino, is our free-scoring Premier League centre-forward and you can read about him this week on The Athletic. Uh, Phil is also going to be tackling the thorny subject of the club crest this week and on the accompanying podcast, we're going to be getting Phil's take on that Fulham game and where Leeds now stand in the transfer market. We'll also look forward to and preview the Brian Dean derby on Sunday when we take on Sheffield United, something we're going to be doing on this podcast shortly. And we're going to be doing another Phil Hay Q and A, so get your questions in details on Twitter of how you can do that. Read Phil's stuff on Leeds with a raft of writers covering football, the Premier League and sport across the planet and they're doing an introductory offer of a quid a month at the moment. Details at theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Did you see little Jimmy Somerville's signing video? Even though he's basically come in on a seven figure fee for the uh, for the under 23s. It was everything you'd hope for in a signing video. Uh, half of it shot in the dark, some sort of... Uh, trap or dubstep type uh, soundtrack, lots of moody shots, gazing out over the East stand, that kind of thing, looking at Beeston Hill. I didn't see it, actually, I have to say. Neither did I, so this is very well, very well researched. It's good to, I mean, the uh, the social media side of these signings has started to just wash over me, really. I saw the pictures of him looking sharp in our new awake in the East stand, and I assumed that was it. I didn't go hunting for a, of signing video I thought we'd, we'd left that back in 2008 it was his signing video he did it for himself oh okay well I mean I don't I don't follow him on Twitter he's only just turned up hasn't he is it was it on Twitter or was it on 
one of the others. It'll be Insta. Insta Bebo or something, I don't know. Insta Bebo. Do you remember Sam Byram's Bebo page when that, that was found? Photos of 12-year-old Sam Byron with a, a hedgehog on his head. It was a glorious thing. Um, what about Rodrigo de Paul's output on social media? I mean, I know this is now old news with the uh, the, the speed of the news cycle, but um, I didn't expect Rodrigo de Paul to message back the Squareball account saying that he wanted to sign for Leeds. That, was, that came as quite the shock, did that, to be honest? I'm not interested in your moment in the sun anymore. I found Somerville's signing video. It's a good hoodie he's wearing. I like the bit where he has um, Beast on the sat-nav as well. Nice jeans too. Yeah, I mean, I, the credit I gave him was for putting on our away kit. He was, looked better in the clothes he turned up in. Anyway, carry on. Apparently you did something on the internet that you're pleased about. Well, it was slightly terrifying, to be perfectly honest, because I was just sat with my legs up on the sofa halfway through getting kids ready for bed and all that sort of stuff. And then suddenly he replied and I did like this mo- this sort of triple take moment. Then it turned into a quadruple take and I was like, hang on a second. He's just replied, confirming my speculative tweet about his transfer desires. But it's weird, isn't it, this one? Something, something's not quite there. There's something missing, a piece missing from the jigsaw. It's, it's obviously, he's nailed his colours to the mast there in that he wants to come. But do you sense like, because he started posting Udinese stuff again, that he's kind of backtracking a little bit, rowing frantically back to shore in case he doesn't get the move this window. It almost feels a little bit like he wants to come, but we just don't think he's worth as much as Udinese do. So now there's a weird standoff in the middle where everyone's just taking a step back from it and he's stuck in the middle with the being an idiot messaging you on Twitter. And I'm an idiot. So there's a pair of idiots messaging one another. Not that we've been messaging, I should stress, it was all very public. He's, I did try and then fish a, a reply out of him on our Instagram DMs after he deactivated his Twitter account. Like, oh, that, that all got a little bit out of hand, didn't it, mate? You're right. Catch you soon. Nothing. I mean, it's, it's probably for the best. I wonder who actually told him to deactivate his account or whether it was a decision he made himself. It's quite interesting to know. I'd still quite want him just because I think he looks dead good. He does look dead good. The, um, that is the interesting part of this so far, given, I mean, the missing piece is he is missing from our squad still. But trying to imagine who was phoning him from the club, whether his agent was on, is it the, the Udinese's coach, is it someone on the backroom team, trying to find out why he's talking to these knobheads in Leeds, what he thinks he's doing. Thomas Christensen has the same agent as uh, Somerville. <laughs> I feel like you've, you've switched subject again there. <laughs> yeah, just, oh, and uh, Adam Forshaw as well, all seem to be part of the uh, Vassiman group. Their logo came up at the end of his um, video, and I knew I'd seen it somewhere, and it's uh, Thomas Christensen. If if this is right, they've got loads of players. Jack Wilshire, maybe we can get him next. Yeah, apparently he's still a thing. Bailey Peacock-Farrell. <laughs> yep, needed need another keeper. Anyway, back to uh, Rodrigo, the, um, not a Leeds player yet. We've seen updates from the Corriera della Sera and Republica, both um, big media outlets in Italy, both saying that we've basically won the race to get this guy. But you wonder, is that Udinese putting out the feelers for higher bids, trying to smoke out bidders, or is it the truth? Because you never seem to quite get to the bottom of this one, because Phil reported in the last 24 hours that Leeds have definitely initiated contact and there's real interest there in him, but it hasn't moved for a couple of weeks. And yet, the other end of this is the Italian media reporting the opposite, saying it's nearly done. So, I mean, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle now. I wonder if we've gone for like a Ryan Kent approach where we've got, we've decided he's worth X amount of money, gone in with that, and they've said no, and we've just gone, all right, don't matter then. We'll, we'll leave it for now, see who else is available. There was the uh, Udinese's director who was saying that Rodrigo de Paul, he loves Udinese, and if he doesn't have to go anywhere, he said that unless there is like a, a life changing thing happens it was all being translated quite roughly um then he'll be uh his heart will stay with Udinese and he said he's being you know a positive uh force around the training ground and he's very concentrated all the things you'd um you'd expect him to be saying regardless of what was actually happening behind the scenes it was very everything is fine he's our player he's staying our player looks like we've lost out on young Josko Gvardiol anyway looks like he's uh heading for fizzy drinks FC in Germany. Believe they might be using money we'll soon be paying them to uh, to fund this one. Certain amount of irony in that. But um, 
We'll see how this one plays out, but it looks like he's not coming to Leeds anyway. That's the uh, the general leaning of the media reports. Dan James is the interesting one, isn't it? That's uh, not gone away yet. And Phil's been saying for a while that we might still be interested in him if Manchester United make moves for a winger. And their fans do seem to hate him, which I would maybe fancy getting out of there if I was him. And maybe he saw enough of how he stand on that evening to decide that it actually wouldn't mind coming back. It'd be interesting. To, there's something that's quite appealing about this because I quite like the idea that he'll have basically been a failure at Man U and we can sign him and turn him into something good. And then Scum will probably buy him back off us in like two years' time for about £90 million because they've got no better ideas. No, no. The last winger that Scum bombed out as not good enough and came to Leeds was Gordon Strachan. Lee Sharp? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, he wasn't bombed out for being not good enough. We bought him at the absolute peak of his powers. So it's a very different situation. Danny Pugh. <laughs> now you're just being silly. Um, I mean, do we want to bring Danny Weber into this? I know it wasn't a direct transfer, but I'm sure he came up through their youth system, didn't he? Anyway, so back to the my serious points that I was about to make, that Dan James is the new Gordon Strachan. Okay, that seems right. I mean, I don't recall Gordon Strachan being like in his early 20s when he signed for us, but other than that. Ah, but he, the energy, the energy levels were like having a, a virile 17-year-old. Um, Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like you, Michael, I, I want this one for the reasons you state, though. There's romance. There's a romantic um, narrative arc in this, in that we get him and we fix him. That poor boy who's been suffering at the hands of those evil bastards from over the hills. And we get him a, hopefully a knockdown price and turn him into the world superstar that he was always destined to come before he went to that cesspit. I mean, the fee is fairly low. Let's talk about sort of 12 to 13 million pounds, which were, there are probably very few Man United players you could buy for that sort of money. I imagine his wages aren't ridiculously high. And he has had a tough year. He's gone into a shit Man U team with a Norwegian PE teacher in charge. And... I think his dad's died in the period since he's been there as well, and he's had a he's had a tough period. And maybe coming coming to Leeds might just sort him out. We're also rumored to be getting um, Sergio Romero from them. Ninety six Argentina caps goalkeeper is he there? Is he their third choice keeper? I don't care. Well, they got the um, the Sheffield United child catcher back, didn't they? So he's um, <laughs> could you, can that stay in? <laughs> Give it a whirl. <laughs> Okay, um, he went back there over summer, didn't he? So, um, yeah, Romero's been booted down as the third choice. So, but yeah, I mean, he must be good. He's played 96 times for Argentina, for Christ's sake. We were being linked with one of their young centre-halves as well, which, uh, I mean, yeah, nicking Dan James, bringing him to the club he was always supposed to be at is one thing. Signing half a team from a, a club that is below us in the Premier League is, I'm not sure it's really the... Uh, the transfer strategy I, I want to go down. I do quite like that we're trying to sign an 18-year-old centre-half from Brighton. Meanwhile, just one of the others. I don't think it matters which one. We've just gone, right, who's in the youth team that we'll have since you want let's have that one? And uh, Brighton are, are now furiously knocking back bids for whoever the fuck that is. But yeah, just go and get him. And if that doesn't work, I think we should just buy some shops down there. Just buy like a buy a grocers in the lanes or something and turn it into a Leeds United superstore. Or just buy a street, start collecting rent, gradually take the place over. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, we're playing down road at Bramall Lane at weekends. That's exciting, isn't it? Kez, ooh, Yorkshire, Northern, Grim. Southern, isn't it? Yeah, more or less. Yes, we have to go uh, to tropical climes to reach this place. And Kez is Barnsley, Sheffield is Def Leppard and the Human League. I don't know which uh, side of the football divide the Human League were on. Def Leppard even went to the point of appearing in Sheffield United's uh, promotion video in eighty nine ninety when they came up woefully behind us. Yeah, they have um, one of Def Leppard in that. None of the human league, though. So I need to work out why. A little bit of research on the hoof suggests Phil Oakey lived quite close at one stage to Hillsborough, and that's as far as I've got. Yeah, Martin from Martin Ware from Heaven Seventeen and Martin Fry from ABC both Wednesdayites, but the human league girls were Oinkers, which I believe is Sheffield Wednesday for a Sheffield United fan. They call each other the pigs down there, don't they? Strange city. Strange city. No wonder Howard Wilkinson got out of there. Weird. Absolutely weird. Uh, you remember we played them a couple of years ago and we won at their place, they won at ours. One of the overarching themes from those couple of games was that they kicked the shit out of us uh, across those two games. Some real snidey fouls and physical play against our beautiful team managed by none other than uh, world-renowned coach Marcelo Bielsa. Hopefully, the additional scrutiny that you get in the Premier League in terms of VAR and replays means that they won't get away with it this time and beauty and art will triumph over thuggery. It was strange in the last games we played against them because we went there and they were better than us and we won and then the reverse happened at Ellen Road. Their team doesn't look drastically different, does it, from when we last played them, as far as I can see? They've got Ollie McBurney now. Was he there? No, they signed him, didn't they, when they came up? he's There's always a bit of something there with him because he's from Leeds, isn't he, even though he's not a Leeds fan. There seems to always be a slight bit of beef there for some reason. And then they've still got Billy Sharp up front. How old is Billy Sharp now? Let me, uh, let me just find out. And who does he prefer, the Human League or Def Leppard? He strikes me as a Def Leppard man without even needing to research that. Mm, there's a lot of... Uh... New romantics under the radar in football tech. Dylan Kerr doesn't go a, a day doesn't go by when he's not thinking about Japan, the band, not the country, and that's absolutely true. Dylan Kerr, I've only ever seen him wearing Depeche Mode t-shirts. I have to say, it's either Depeche or Japan. Billy Sharp only thirty-four, which I think is wrong. You know, you hear the rumours about Carnu and stuff. He's got a Sheffield birth certificate. No one's quite sure. Brian Dean claims he played in the same school team as him. They have signed some players. They've signed that um, Oliver Burke character who he kicked off that whole fashion for young players going to Germany. Everybody was expecting him to, to move from Forest to some like mundane uh, Midlands team, which he did in the end. He went to West Brom, but he went via Leipzig. And now they've uh, West Brom have ended up swapping him for Callum Robinson because Jaden Sancho, he ain't. It'll be nice to renew rivalries with Chris Wilder anyway we had a little bit of uh, back and forth with him around the time that they got promoted Pat Benford I mean it is this is the big matchup where it's uh, an actual in-form Pat Benford up against Chris Wilder I mean the lad could combust he's in um, old Christopher is he's had a, one of his sort of drunken rants about the coronavirus is his uh, is his current thing before I play this clip, I'm guessing he's against masks, doesn't think they serve any purpose, 
lockdown is an attack on our civil liberties. Am I right? No, no, no. He's he's actually he's on the he's on the side of the angels mostly uh, with this. As confused as any of us, I don't know why the fuck anybody asked him. Light at the end of the tunnel because the EFL are having pilot schemes. There'll be a thousand fans at some games, and, and maybe in October we might see fans. At, <laughs> I just don't know where we are with it all. I've got to say, I, I haven't got a clue. Where are you? Can we? Can I go and see me now? Am I allowed to see me now? Am I allowed well, to see uh, me mum? Oh, but, oh, but, but, then, but then we can have a thousand people in the ground, but we can't have 15,000. And then I can't go and have a pint with my mates unless there's only six of us. So I, I've got to say, I'm, I'm like majority of the, the people in this country have not got a clue what's going off. <laughs> Good luck. I've got a clue. <laughs> so if anybody can help me, I'll try, I'll try and try uh, and affect that, that game of football and help, help. Out with the staff and the boys getting a result, but everything else, all that other stuff, I ain't, I ain't got a clue. He's this close. He was this close to blaming Bamford. You could tell. I can't see him in there, and it's fucking Pat Bamford's fault. Someone tell him Pat Bamford's allowed to go grouse shooting in a group of thirty. How do you fancy us to get on then down the lane? Well, Sheffield United so far lost two 0 to Wolves, lost to Burnley one one in the Carabao. Penalties sorted them out. They're playing Villa tonight. Probably lose. As it does a severe warning for us in uh, who scored.com's assessment of their season so far, because uh, although their only match in the Premier League so far is a 0 2 defeat, their strength is protecting the lead. It's their only strength. I'm wondering what witchcraft Chris Wilde has got next. I know this inverted sort of flying buttresses he's got going on with him is boggled the minds of every football coach and pundit going, but how he's managed to build a team that is strong at protecting the lead that hasn't been in the lead all season. I'm worried. I'm seriously worried. Can't lose the lead if you're ever in the lead, can you? That's true. I mean, that's the ultimate protection. It's like uh, it's like the best tampon ever made. <laughs> What a beautiful analogy, Moscow. Thank you for that. It's the first time we're going to see our glorious stripey away kit this weekend as well. So it'll be interesting to see whether that becomes a lucky talisman or uh, an absolute jinx. I mean, my only the only time I've seen it so far actually was against the under-23s played Stoke. And it was obviously on a training pitch which had kind of council training pitch level floodlights. So you basically couldn't see it at all, which wasn't ideal. But this will be played in daylight, won't it? So, so I'm sure it'll be fine. What's wrong with the Premier League? Our new bit that we're doing here on the podcast. We've been here for a couple of weeks now, getting used to the uh, the temperature. Very nice here. But it's about time changes were made. I mean, what's the point of us being in the Premier League if we're not going to tell them how to fix it? So what is it going to be this week? What is wrong with the Premier League? It's a very easy one, and we've probably gone early on this because there'll be a million other times to use it. But just having seen the penalties and that, just get rid of VAR. Jesus Christ, it was bad enough last year having to watch games that I didn't care about being played with it. But it's just terrible and it doesn't even work there just seems to have been about 10 penalties for handballs this weekend and some last weekend and they're still persisting with the offside going by the millimetre and stuff it's just terrible they do seem to be going a little bit faster with it I've been quite relieved by that I think they're getting closer if they're not going to get rid of it then they're not but I've always thought the way it should work is referees are trained on the grass to be able to spot an infringement in the blink of an eye. And they're normally pretty good to be able to do that, you know, 90% of the time or whatever the statistics were before VAR came in. So you, VAR should just be like a second chance. You just get another look at it, but you don't spend hours walking an offside back and forth, drawing lines across. It's just, if you can see something wrong with that on the video, you've got 10 seconds to say something, speak now, or forever hold your peace. And it's gone a little bit closer to that. But then they have got into that thing of dragging the referee over for a look. And I think what annoys me about that is that the referees aren't walking to the sidelines as if it's going to, they're standing in the middle of the pitch saying, well, I'm, I'm waiting for an instruction. And then the instruction is you should go and have a look. Why don't you fucking walk over there? You know that's what they're <laughs> going to say. Stand there with your hand up your ass. Ref- Move. Call the, call the screen to them. That's what refs like to do with players, isn't it? Come here. Oh, put it on a little um, Bielsa's got his little Bielsa mobiles that he used at um, Marseille, didn't he? The golf carts with television screens on. One of them driving out of the pitch, pootling out 
everybody. You could, I mean, Lee Johnson's looking for a job, isn't he? Stick a big telly on the back of a golf cart, tell him it's a tractor, and let him go play brum brum on the pitches of the EFL. <laughs> I agree with you to an extent, Michael, in that all VAR has done is pass on the responsibility for the error to some twat sat in an office at Stockley Park who the crowd can't abuse, you know, and the managers can't lean on. Because have you noticed there's kind of been almost a, a bit of a drop in the levels of dissent about decisions that are taken by VAR? Because the ref can go, well, it's not me, is it? It's not me. Telly showed it, so it's fine. But the flip side of that and why it's good is that it stops Man United being given everything and the, the crowd can't influence them. And, you know, Alex Ferguson can't cover the ref in spit, demanding that he changes his his mind and does stuff that favours those lot. You know, it's just a shame that it wasn't around in time to stop him. Did you see how many penalties they got last year? It was a lot. And a lot of them were not penalties either. There were some really dubious ones in there still. So I feel like it's brought the, it still allows for that sort of stuff to go wrong. The promise of it is delivering no major wrong decisions sounds perfect. But then it's still massively subjective that whether or not you could, like the Fulham penalty on the weekend, and even ours to an extent, you could say, someone would look at that and go, well, he's changed his run so he gets knocked down. That's not a penalty. And someone else viewed it clearly and went, yeah, definitely a penalty. So you're still allowing for that same room for bias. I know you don't necessarily give a decision because Roy Keane's an inch from your face shouting at you, but there is still the margin for error there, which even though I can't believe I'm saying it, I think I preferred Roy Keane yelling in someone's face. I did quite like, um, although I'm I'm not keen on the, the millimetre measurements involved in all this, but the crying from the scum fans after De Gea had his penalty save ruled out and had to basically just let Crystal Palace keep taking them until he either kept his foot on the line or they scored. Had a lot of, uh, well, you know, how could he be expected to keep his foot on the line? It's impossible. They've, this new ruling has ruined the game. And then the next day, Alisson for Liverpool saved that penalty. And then they said, well, we need to see if his foot was on the line. Absolutely perfect. He's, I think his foot was even behind the line and he, he saved it. He's obviously, this is the difference between when you've got good players and players who play for scum, he's practised. He's seen a change in the rules and a new trend in football and thought, well, I'm going to have to change my technique to fit how the game is now played. Whereas if you're the goalkeeper for scum, you just go, why should I? They should just do it to suit us. I'm going to start picking up back passes. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> exactly. But it is very possible. And Alison did it beautifully and made De Gea look even more of a fool. Well, in a word then, Michael, are you doing away with VAR? Correct, yes. Go on. Moscow? Yeah, fuck it. We'll go back to... Uh, I was, I'm quite interested in both of your opinions that we should... It, we really miss dissent. That's what's, gone, <laughs> that's what's gone wrong in modern football is there's not enough dissent. Well, maybe the solution to this then is that we install stands at Stockley Park and we put fans in them to berate the VAR official and maybe like players who haven't made the matchday squad get sent out to Stockley Park to just go berate the VAR ref. That'd work, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And find out where they live. Fans can go and camp outside the houses, you know, cause a bit of a stink that way. Um, they shouldn't... Just because a referee is locked in an office doesn't mean he shouldn't get abused. Should designate a former player to go and hassle them. Then Michael can have his Roy Keane wish come true. We can send Gordon Strachan down. And it keeps Savage out of the commentary box as well. Lots of love to Levi Solicitors for their continued support on the podcast. They're on board for this season. We're really grateful to them. And if you want to do them a favour in return, if you've got legal matters that you want to sort out, give them a look up and use your discount, which I'll uh, bring you in a second. Branches across the country, but they are very much a Leeds company offering all sorts of legal services. So if you're moving house and you need your conveyancing done, look them up. They'll sort out your contracts and all that business, wills, probate, all that sort of stuff. And 10% off your fees for being a listener to this podcast. Get your discount at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Final part of the show now then, heroes and villains. First, the Ken Bates Villainy Awards, where the rules dictate that Ken Bates or one of them from around the world will get a nomination up first in this category. Is it our beardy Ken Bates or is it one of the other ones. Back to Wyoming. Over in Casper, they're looking at changing licensing regulations about massage therapists. And it seems clear to me that all Ken wants from this is to do a tour of some, some massage parlours. not suggesting there's anything wrong with that, but him. I don't want this to be rushed. If we want to get here to the rest of the state, it needs to be right. And why the first time? 
Let's do more research. If that means I have to go in have a rub down like three or four times, three or four times a week, it's absolutely fine. And then I'll report back on which ones offer the best finishes. Probably do it over Zoom in the moment, but I won't stream it live because it'd be too much for people. But yeah, we'll do it. We'll make sure the proper regulations are in place. A little bit of paraphrasing there from, from Ken. Yeah, he didn't say exactly that, but that was more or less, that was the gist. Other nominations, please. A serious one to follow that. Birmingham fans. They were horrible, weren't they? Do you remember that when we played them? We were meant to be having a nice party day, beating them, centenary game, all that sort of stuff. Then a load of their fans started attacking stewards and seven of them have gone to prison, which is quite good, I suppose. <laughs> Michael Michael Normanson of Squareball Podcast says, lock them up. <laughs> well, you can't. Someone stamps on a, a female steward's head. I mean, that's not, you can't do that, can you? No, you can't. I mean, we even put fireworks on for them at that game. I don't know what they, uh, what more they wanted to distract them. Um, I don't know what upset them either. Was there any hint of what the fucking problem was? I can't actually remember what it was that sparked it. I think I was winning and being pleased about it. Might have, might have done it. A special note to someone called Bradley Gwynevan, who was sent to 13 months in prison. He, The report said he filmed himself taking part in the disturbance. So, little tip for any wannabe criminals out there. If you're going to commit crimes, probably best off not providing the evidence yourself. This was a bunch of, well, relative kids anyway, aged between 17 and 25. What's Warren Miles doing, who's 51 years old? Come on, Warren, take some responsibility, sunshine. Someone's dad on a stag do has got carried away, hasn't he? Just wanted to join in with the lads. But, you know, you touch a stripper, next thing you know, bouncers are there. All got out of hand. Someone gets thrown down some stairs. Anyway, who else? We touched on him at the week, uh, the weekend's match ball, Robbie Savage. I don't think we need to say anything more about it. The punditry that we're being dragged in through is fairly dire. Tony Cascarino is clearly out to annoy with uh, the scum game, saying that um, they shouldn't be signing players. They should get Bielsa to replace Solskjaer. Good one, Tony. That's really got me angry. Ooh, fuming here. And I don't mean F-U-M, I mean F-E-W. That's how mad I am about Tony Cascarino's opinion. The annoying thing is he's like Tony Cascarino because he fucking hates David O'Leary, but I might have to revise my opinions here. I mean, we did say that Robbie Savage was a terrible pundit. Have, have we got a clip here of him that we can we can play? Bobby de Cordova. Red. It's got to go. That's because of... Um, yeah. Leeds haven't been in Premier League for a while. Bye. <laughs> Suddenly went quite Yorkshire there, did, uh, did young Robert. Um, can we put Danny Mills in this? Because he needs to shut the fuck up. Dave Dave, he was speaking exclusively to Football Insider, who somehow always managed to to ring him. Yeah, he just needs to stop talking. And he's talking about Robin Cock. Says he needs to be more careful because he's conceded two penalties now, which is, I think you needed a former Premier League footballer to tell you that. Oh, but you need a former Premier League footballer to put it in these uh, precise cliche free and not at all wanked off terms where he says cock is obviously a great player but he needs to be more careful when challenging people in and around the box you see the way you put it michael made it sound as if he was always only talking about challenging in the box mills has quite clearly specified it's in and around the box both things so there's a lot there for Robin Cook to think about that you, unless we'd, we'd got those exclusive comments that hopefully we don't have to pay a licensing fee to Football Insider to use, uh, we would not have got the full benefits like a, like a, a coat on a cold day. Danny Mills played uh, 125 games for Leeds United and uh, he got 34 yellow cards and two red cards in that time. Yeah, I never even, uh, never even crossed my mind the that the advice he was given there was not something he was ever able to follow himself. Well, we are on this tip. A, a word for Paul Merson, who managed to wind up our friends at Fulhamish because apparently at uh, 4-1, he, he said on Soccer Saturday that Fulham had absolutely no chance of getting back into the game. And then at 4-3, he said, well, you heard me saying a few minutes ago that Fulham will get right back into this one. So um, it's all just bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> it's just a lot of noise, isn't it? Yes. Do we have a uh, 
Somebody who stands out from this pack then who you'd like to give the villainy award to? I give it Savage. I mean, 16 years we've waited to come back to the Premier League and not only are we not allowed into the stadiums, but we get that fucking noise. Just, it could have been anybody. It could have been any other pundit. Possibly not Martin Keown. I think that would have been worse. Uh, Martin Keown had that perler when Messi scored in the Champions League final. Was it the Champions League final or the, the semi-final? And he said... Um, he always fails to live up to expectations, this man, after he just scored the most extraordinary goal anybody had ever seen. But, uh, yeah, Savage is what we got. Savage is what we did not want. Savage is my villain. It does seem a bit like the pundits you get are just the noisy people rather than anyone who might have something interesting to say. Like I would, I'm sure David Weatherall would be a good pundit because he's quite an intelligent, measured man and has a degree in chemistry or physics or something, but then has done coaching badges as well. And I just feel like he could probably have some insight, but he's maybe taken one look at the sort of thing he'd be asked to do and just gone, nah, I'll do, I'm going to do my own thing. Well, no, I think that's the thing is David Weatherall did have a, and still does have a chemistry degree, but he's got a good job. He's, I think he's director of youth coaching for the FA. He's like, he's actually quite high up in what happens in terms of educational pathways for young footballers at a, a national level. So because he's got a brain, he's busy. Because Robbie Savage fucking doesn't. He's available. And the other thing that annoyed me about this was how tired it sounded. It's the second game of the season, the first time we've been on BT Sport. And neither Savage or Ian Dark could be bothered with the jokes anymore. There was so much where it's kind of like they'd, they'd make a crack about, you know, Robbie Savage something about his career being terrible and Dark would just go, well, Robbie, I'll, I'll let you do the punchlines for that one. And he'd just go, hey, yeah, I did it. It's funny, isn't it? And they can't even be bothered doing the jokes anymore. They just have to kind of say, well, there's a joke. Yeah. So Robbie, you were shit. People at home, if you can, if you want to laugh, laugh now, can't be asked doing a joke. You've heard it so many times before. Just, just put a, a little lamp on your television that says Robbie Savage joke being told. Laugh now. Miserable, miserable times. Well, we've put the Premier League to rights. We've picked ourselves a villain in Savage. Let's do the Andy Hughes Hero Award now then and finish with a sprinkling of joy. Uh, Patrick Bamford, your starter for 10 here. Two goals in two. Massively outperforming his XG. Bambino, new nickname. Bamford for England. Happy days. I think I tweeted on the weekend that he's found his level and he does look that way. He's good. He was always good at loads of stuff, but now he can do finishing too. So just keep doing that would be my advice. My, um, if I was uh, just having criticised the level of punditry there, but if I, was, um, if I was on there instead of Savage, I'd be saying he needs to keep scoring goals. I do wonder if there's uh, some of the benefits here of him being at a club for a while instead of that fucking horrible Chelsea farming experiment that ruined him. Lewis Baker, Izzy Brown, Jamal Blackman, and they're just the ones we've seen at Leeds. There does seem to be a, a big difference in a player. Just We've seen it in all the players who've, who've stayed and got better every season. It's almost like shoving him around from low move to low move wasn't necessarily going to bring the best out of him. Sticking him up against Virgil van Dijk with Marcelo Bielsa, giving him the, the confidence to play. That's what gets the business done. I almost feel like we could be uh, going a little bit too soon by nominating Paddy here, though, because um, after he's reduced Chris Wilder to bitter tears of hatred at the weekend, we'll be nominating him again in seven days. You mentioned Bielsa there. Seeing him smile in the post-match, particularly when uh, him and the translator were chuckling about Pablo's injury. That was lovely, wasn't it? It warmed the cockles. There's something to be said for never smiling, because it means when, when you do, people love it. He absolutely lights a room up, I think, when Bielsa's happy. Because he's normally so incredibly serious in press conferences and to the point where someone erroneously said we'd conceded six goals in the first two games and rather than just let it pass or talk about it in a jokey way, he just sort of went, no, seven goals. And he was like, oh yes, sorry, I'm really sorry. So to see him laughing about someone's cock was funny. Moving on to other candidates then, who else? But speaking of laughing at somebody's cock, laughing at a cock or even just ripping a cock to shreds, that's quite a... <laughs> Quite the image. <laughs> a comforting uh, <laughs> image. Um, Frank Lampard being the cock in, in 
question Barney Roney at the Guardian has uh, has sorted him out in print ahead of um, the Liverpool game. I'd not actually um, heard what Lampard actually said to Klopp and his backroom staff when they were clashing on the touchline at the end of last season when Lampard's going on to them saying you've only won it once or whatever it was. Fucking little prick. And um, yeah, the article could probably be summed up that Barney Roney's called him a fucking little prick, but he's done it with uh, a few more words and some some better adjectives. Yeah, there's no, just a nice comparison between the way Klopp has actually genuinely worked his way up through management and is a, a self-made man versus Lampard. There's a nice little nugget in there as well from uh, Rio Ferdinand. In his autobiography, he talks about the opulence of Lampard's, um, of Lampard's home life, saying, the Ralph Lauren jumpers and shirts piled high in his wardrobe, a different one for every day of the week. He deserved, He earned those jumpers, I'm sure Frank would say. He deserved them. And if, if, Lamp- if Rio Ferdinand didn't have them at that age, then that was probably his fault. There was a, a real, there was a serious aspect of the skewering in this because I think my favourite line in it was not one of the jokey ones when he said, uh, success is what happens when talent meets opportunity. But what if you just keep on getting a lot more opportunities than other people? Which basically sums up Frank Lampard in one line. Although I did also enjoy the uh, the the comparison to a toxic, touchy, mid-career Jose Mourinho, who seems increasingly to be a key influence. Did you see Lampard after the game as well on the weekend? When they'd been pretty soundly beaten. I know they had a man sent off and stuff, but someone asked him what he said at half time, and did he ask? Did he tell him to do something specific? And he said, "No, I just told him to be need to be more confident on the ball." And you think that's the most like I've played at some abysmal levels of football, and that's the sort of thing we used to get told, as well as like we're not talking lads and get stuck in a bit more and things like they don't like it up and just have a bit more confidence on the ball. It's it's just very, very lame. I can't remember if I've said it on this podcast or elsewhere when I've been discussing Frank Lampard with people, but it put him and Jody Morris heads together. What is their plan? What's the big idea? What's their football philosophy? What have they got? Because we know what Jurgen Klopp's got. We know what, we know what Mourinho's got. We know what his style of football is. We know what Bielsa's all about. We know how he plays. We even know how Chris Wilder likes Sheffield United to play and, and the ideas and the thought and the tactical planning he's putting in that. What's, what's fucking Frank Lampard and Jody Morris actually got? What's, what's in the big brains of theirs? What's their plan? What's the philosophy? What are they telling those players? This is what we're going to do. Because it looks to me like they're just going 4-3-3 three, three today, lads. Try to keep the ball, keep it tight. Get it up and go on. Show, show some passion. My mate pointed out as well that on the post-game stuff, um, they had Ashley Cole on, who is a scout at Chelsea. And when he was asked about how Timo Werner's going to fit into the team, he basically didn't know, which is worrying, given that's kind of his job. And he's been watching him for quite a while, apparently. Ashley Cole was just there to say nice things about Frank Lampard. I noticed as well that he was saying, uh, oh, he'll, he'll sort it out, definitely. I think give him two or three weeks, it's going to be great there. It's not going to be great in two or three weeks. Lampard might sort it out because they've got, they've, you know, they paid a lot of money for a lot of very good footballers. So it should be the easiest thing in the world to get them to put them together and make them play. But I don't think it's going to be a case of Frank Lampard sorting anything out in two or three weeks. You know, I did that season preview on, um, it was one of the Chelsea podcasts. I think it's called London is Blue, um, an American Chelsea podcast. Uh, went on there and did the Leeds bit for them. Why did you agree to go on that, Dan? Sounds awful. It was fun. Nice guys pay about the choice of football team. But what I heard from from them and what you get the sense of from, from the Chelsea fans, sort of the ones who have not woken up to what Lampard actually is, is that wishful thinking. And if there's any fan base who's going to recognise wishful thinking, it's us because we've had 15 years of it prior to getting BLs from prior to getting promoted when we just hoped beyond hope that this one would work and that this one would work and that this one would work. And it never did. And we probably knew deep down that it wouldn't do because there were certain things missing. And in Lampard's case, it's coaching ability, I think, might be missing. And not to mention his complete lack of humility and other human characteristics that would make someone a successful manager in anything, whether you're you know, managing a Premier League football team or the photocopier dealership, or whatever you call a photocopier salesman place that Lampard should be working in. He'd be shit at that as well, is the point I'm making. We should give a nod to the Chelsea fans as well for getting hashtag Lampard out trending. And I think... 
a lot of that was assisted by fans of other clubs, to be honest. But then again, we want Lampard in, don't we? Because I think he's doing a great job in wasting all their money. I think they should go buy Declan Rice for £80 million if uh, if I've got anything to do with it. That'll happen. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see what he's... He's not even got anything to work with in the case of Declan Rice. So to see him and Lampard combined would be a thing of joy. So pick yourself a hero then. Who's your hero of the week? It should be Bamford. But as before, I'm wondering whether to save him for next week and we celebrate his four in three or five in three, depending on how much of a riot he runs in Sheffield United's defence where they're all they're all up the other end of the pitch trying to score. So maybe it's been that Bielsa laughing about penises. I mean, that's not going to happen every week, is it? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go along with that. I do agree with you to an extent, but this may just give Paddy that extra bit of confidence going into the weekend when he learns of this. Because he got an assist as well, don't forget. He got two assists, won the penalty, didn't he? So I'm, I'm counting that as two. I'm leaning towards Paddy on this one. I know that this kind of goes against everything you believe in, Moscow, but can't you give it to him? No, I can say I'm happy to, but I, I want to give it to him for his, uh, his seven goals in three that he'll have next time we speak. Go on, you have the casting vote, Michael, go on. There's nothing better than Bielsa laughing, so Bielsa wins it. Okay. We'll speak next week, Bambino. And that wraps it up this time on the Square Ball podcast. Have a look at TSB Plus if you're not already subscribed to that for more podcasts, all ad-free on one feed and early access to the match ball. We'll catch you next time. See you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 